Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Good to be back uh, in our series on my favorite Proverbs. And this morning we're in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. This morning our proverb talks about anger, which is a touchy subject. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. What do you think would happen if we all began to share our opinions? Sports, religion, government policies, It'd be like Thanksgiving. So let's just try this as kind of a thought experiment. Uh, Tell us what you think about the San Francisco Giants. See, that would have worked a lot better if we'd won last night. Or how about this? Tell us what you think about the biblical teaching of predestination. Tell us what you think about vaccination mandates. Within our church family, I'd like to think we'd see a soft answer, turn away wrath, and not see a harsh word, stir up anger. Anger exposes strong opinions. I used to blame others for making me angry. I've made no secret over the years that I used to be a very angry man. I was a very angry kid before I became a very angry man. I'd actually say, you make me angry. But it's not others that make us angry. It's our own opinions. It's not others that make us angry. It's our own opinions. It might surprise us to know that anger is a choice. But it doesn't feel like it. Why is that? Why does anger feel like it's so a part of our nature, our makeup, maybe even our personality? And so it's almost like it could never be a choice. But I'm telling you, it's a choice, but it doesn't feel like a choice. And the reason is, is that our choices are made long before we get angry. And our opinions are choices that are already formed. If we change and adjust our opinion. We change the energy of our anger. 
How do we change our opinions? How do we change the opinion of our opinions? We need a bigger opinion. I realized my anger was kind of like a wild beast within me. I like the, uh, the image of a wild horse. That sounds so much better. A wild horse needs a horse whisperer. A horse whisperer, even though he can't talk to a horse, not in language we understand, a horse whisperer gives a horse insight. Our horse whisperer is the Lord. Wisdom, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 6, at the opening of of this uh, body of Proverbs, this body of Israelite wisdom, this body of wisdom that is, in a sense, originated with God and the presence of God. This body of wisdom begins with the words, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So wisdom comes with the fear of the Lord. Fear doesn't translate well into our language, but the concept of fear as in fear of the Lord is maybe closer to our faith, but with a greater sense of awe. A greater sense of, uh, I care more about the Lord than anything else I happen to be doing. That's a fear that captures our attention, that holds our attention, that commands our attention. And so the Lord isn't just a superhero that we call upon in time of need. The Lord is a major part of our world. Our world is different because of the Lord. He's not someone or <laughs> like something that we tuck in the cupboard and forget where we put it. He's real and important and considerate to our lives each and every day. I want you to notice the influence of the Lord on anger in these Proverbs. And I'm going to give you the passage and then I'm going to share with you the proverb. So listen carefully. This is Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16. The anger of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. The prudent. The prudent is the person who is intelligent, insightful, wise. The prudent is prudent, because of the Lord in the book of Proverbs. So the prudent ignores an insult because of the Lord in his life. The anger of a fool, what's a fool known for? Not listening to anybody. 
not giving any thought to the Lord. The fool doesn't even believe in the Lord. Chapter 14, verse 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Great understanding. Great understanding is a defense against anger. Great understanding causes someone to remain cooler and calmer in a heated discussion or when confronted by challenging opinions. A person has great understanding because they see the world through the eyes of the creator of the world. The creator of the world isn't in some other world. The creator of the world is the creator of the world in which I live and you live. And it's the man or woman of understanding who appreciates that above all. Chapter 17, verse 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. Well, we know that if you just keep your mouth shut, people will think you're pretty smart. Whoever restrains his words, who has that power to restrain his or her words? That power comes from someone bigger than me, someone bigger than you that we give consideration to, that we bow to in terms of our own behaviors and outlooks. And he who is cool, of spirit or has a cool spirit is a man of understanding, a person of understanding. So understanding manifests itself in being cool under pressure, cool in an argument, cool around fools. Chapter 19, verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger. Good sense is discretion. Good sense makes one slow to anger. So a long, long fuse. You can light it, but it's just going to burn a long time. He's not or she's not going to explode. Chapter 29, verse 11. A fool always loses his temper. But a wise person holds it back. In all these Proverbs, the wise have insight that tempers anger. Tempers other emotions as well, but tempers anger. And that's really the thrust that I want to impress upon us. The point I want to make with us is that we need to get wisdom. And if we've got wisdom, it tempers anger with insight. When we use the word temper, now when I was a kid growing up, my mom would say, temper, temper. Did you ever hear that? So I thought temper was the same as anger. I didn't really understand that. But when you temper something, you add something to it to neutralize it or to balance it. So we Temper justice with what? Mercy. We add some mercy 
to temper the sharp cutting edge of justice. We temper a lot in our lives by adding something or having something to keep it under control, so to speak. What we add to anger alters anger or tempers it. Paul nails it when he says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. So how, you know, have you, in your Christian walk, in your walk with the Lord, I was a number of years into it. I'd read this verse before. Funny how you can be exposed to things, and it just... It, it doesn't seem to make all of its sense at first or at once. And uh, I'd read this before, and then it dawned on me, because in the meantime, I, was, I wanted to become a better person. I wanted to grow in the Lord. I wanted to get stronger in my faith. <laughs> and this is a guy who's going into ministry. And I read this verse as a pastor, and it hit me. That's how you change. That's how the Lord changes you. His truth, we put our faith in it, and it works in our heart and our mind. And it changes the way we see things, see our world, see ourselves, see the people we live with, see the chores that we have to face, see the challenges, interruptions, upsets of life. When things don't go our way, it changes everything. When we put our faith in it, when we believe in it, if we don't believe in it, it's like buying something really precious and never using it. You had to have it. You had to have it. You had to have it. How many of us have stuff like that that we don't use? Or it wasn't all that valuable after we got it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Present yourself to God, he says. He says, don't be conformed, but be transformed so that we can prove, get this, prove that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. How do we prove it? We believe it. We let it transform us. It takes root, it bears fruit in our lives. We're actually changed into the likeness of Christ. We become what's said is more godly. And we actually show people around us. They may not see it, but we expose them constantly to a life that is affected positively by the will of God, that it's good, acceptable, and perfect. So what are the causes and the continuations and the consequences of anger? Let me just say a word very quickly about the causes of anger. Anger is a God-given emotion. It's our emotional response to a threat or danger. And that's really good in the wild or when you're 
all by yourself in the back country or something like that. But in our comfortable, basically middle-class existence, most of the threats are emotional. They're cerebral. They're social. And so they affect our emotional life. Anger is good when it alerts us and activates us to be assertive. Anger can be aroused when we observe injustice. And it can challenge us and call us to be just in the face of injustice. That's good. If we don't become unjust in opposing the injustice, which sometimes happens, uh, maybe a lot of the time it happens. Anger is bad when we turn it against others in selfish and hurtful ways because it's about having our feelings hurt or our pride or our opinion. That's irrational. The principal cause of anger is our wrong thinking. When I was, I've done this at least a couple of times. I hit my thumb with a hammer. Have you ever done that? Yeah. You just, for like a nanosecond, you kind of black out. And then you, you're just, your whole body is tingling with excruciating pain. And then you start kicking stuff and cursing. And I used to hate the world. I mean, I just, I would start throwing stuff. And, and a lot of times I responded so irrationally to disappointments. Sometimes when I would be doing something and if it didn't, if I couldn't do it right or it didn't happen, you know, smoothly, I would get furious and hate the world. I'd take it out on everything. That's absurd, isn't it? It's irrational. Why do we do stuff like that? It's not reasonable thinking. But the Lord Whisperer, who tells us, hey, don't be like that. Think about what you're doing, man. He can help us. To temper my anger, I needed to get inside, change my thinking, get new information. New information leads to new thinking, and new thinking leads to new results. You know, that's the, the definition of insanity. You just keep doing the wrong thing over and over and over with the same result. The philosopher Epictetus said, we are disturbed not by things, but the view we take of them. Some of you would do well to just memorize that. It's, it's great. It's, we are disturbed. I am disturbed. I'm troubled. I'm agitated. Not by the things outside of me. Not by circumstances. Not by you. 
not by what I hear, not by what I see on television. I am disturbed not by those things, but the view I take of them, how I see them. That's forming opinions based on opinions. And a lot of those opinions are old opinions or opinions that need to be changed in the light of the Lord. The wildness in us needs a horse whisper. The Lord is that horse whisper that calms, changes, converts the emotion in our lives to help us manage it, and especially anger. The view we take means the way we think. Let me give you just an example. For exa- These are true examples in my life. They're not hard to find because I had many of them in the past. So a driver cuts me off in traffic. Oh, you've never done that? You've never had that happen? Well, go and drive a little bit today. So a driver cuts me off in traffic and I explode. What do you think could change that? That explosion, that fury. I mean, sometimes our car becomes, we kind of weaponize it. Here's how you change that. What if the driver made a mistake and knew it and felt bad, but he didn't know how to communicate that to me, and he could see me screaming and right on his tail, flashing my lights, But really, what if he made a mistake and he felt bad? You know, he didn't see it. We make mistakes. Watch your own driving. How many times have people been upset with you because you made a mistake? And then what happens? What happens? Then you get upset because they should know you just made a mistake. (laughs) It's not your fault. It's their fault now. How about this? What if it wasn't a mistake? What if the driver's wife was about to deliver a baby and the driver was intentionally trying to weave through traffic? That actually happened to me with our second child who was born on this day. So it was on this day that this happened. Shelly's water finally broke. We had to drive from San Francisco to Redwood City. And I'm pushing it down the freeway because I want to get there in time. And this guy will not move at all. He's in the fast lane and he's just cruising along. So I zoomed around him and he got upset at me. There are things we do for a purpose, and sometimes they're legitimate. And if we knew it, 
it would change the way we saw the whole thing, right? It would, it would change. I mean, yeah. It shows you that your anger has a lot to do with your thinking. What if, what if it was intentional? You see, what if, we started off, what if it was a mistake? What if it wasn't a mistake, but it was done for a good purpose? And then what if it was intentional? What if the driver really is a jerk? A selfish jerk. Now I say, well, why should I let your behavior dictate mine? Why should a jerk turn me into a jerk? What made me explode in any of these situations? What makes you explode? And sometimes you're explode, you know, you know, maybe your your wife, you've scared her out of her wits so many times that when you get angry now, you you're smarter, you know, you don't explode, you just Bubble, blister. Why do we explode? Why do we bubble? Why do we blister? Why do we simmer? Because we take it personally. We take it personally. We have an opinion that has been wounded in some way. And our opinions are not worth that much. Proverbs 23.7 says, as we think in our hearts, so are we. I think there's a lot of wisdom there if you contemplate that and understand how important your words, your thoughts, the way you see things, the opinions you form, how in a sense the rest of the world can go to hell because our opinions, my opinion, is more important than anything. I feel really strong about this. I hope this helps some of you. We all have anger. Some of us manage it in a godly way. A lot of us are still slaves to ourselves and not to the Lord. And we manage it in an ungodly way. That's the cause of anger. What about continuations of anger? Well, anger is inflamed by the statements we make to ourselves. We fuel our anger with negative, fault-finding thinking that is subject to no one else but our own selfishness. Let the Lord challenge our distortions. You remember what he said to Jonah? Do you do well to be angry? If you and I could hear the Lord whisper that to us, do you do well to be angry? It would change things. That's in Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. In 1980, I decided I needed to do something about my anger, and I began reading. There wasn't a lot at that time. Actually, I, the first thing that began to help me was, was in a secular, non-religious uh, essay that I read. It was by Carol Tavris, who went on to write a book and has become something of an expert. But many Christians uh, in the field of psychology and kind of bridging that gap between the worldview of the Bible and its impact on our world 
uh, have written some very good things. Dr. David Stoop wrote a book back in the mid, I think it was 1984, called Self-Talk. Today, I think it's called You Are What You Think. It's the same book. It's in a different package. On pages 87 and 88, he calls this one word that we use, this one thought that we use, obscene. He uses that word. He says, this is obscene. And that word is should. Should. Now, there's all kinds of ways we say should without saying should. Like, I got to. I gotta. I have to. I must. Those are all kind of substitutes for should. What we do when we use the word should is that we make a demand on a situation or a person that can never be met. And many times we make that demand on ourselves. I realized he was pointing the finger right at me. And I began to see all the ways that I would you should in my own life, on myself. John, you should, you should, you should. Or the world should, should, should. Or my wife should, or my kids should, or you should. You'll always be disappointed. You'll always be let down. And you'll let yourself down. And for a guy like me who felt insecure and inferior, should was like kryptonite. I could never live up to my own expectations. Many of us are burdened with guilt because we'll never succeed because of the shoulds in our lives. We'll always feel a sense of self-loathing for a sense of letting ourselves and other people down. Boy, that, re- that just was havoc on my marriage. I suspected Shelley of motives and emotions she didn't even have because of my own insecurities. I was always on the prowl, you know, And when she would maybe say something that I needed to hear to help me, it was hyper-threatening, hyper-upsetting. And I would get on the defensive and react to that. And it would put us at odds when she was trying to help me. I'm really laying myself open here to let you know about some things that I think could change your life. Argue, he says, against the demands. Argue. Argue against any type of demand on others or on life itself, quote-unquote. And Ken Sandy makes the same point in his more recent book, The Peacemaker, chapter 5. The whole book's worth a read. He says that what we should be having in the place of shoulds, both authors do, is that we should recognize these these should not be demands, they should be desires. If I desire something, that's appropriate. But if I demand, if I turn it into a I deserve, it becomes a demand. 
I deserve is the worst word in our vocabulary. You're setting yourself up for trouble. What are the consequences of anger? It's interesting, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, we have our English translation, and it's a translation of the Hebrew. So that, word, that verse you're reading was first written in Hebrew. And the first translation of that Hebrew on any kind of scale was what we call the Greek Bible, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. And the Greek Bible we call also the Septuagint because it was supposedly translated by 70 translators. So I read the Septuagint version of verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1. And do you know what it starts out with? It starts a little differently, and I didn't know if it was the ending of the previous chapter, but it's a, it's a part of the first verse in the Greek Bible, and this is what it says. It says, anger destroys even the wise. And that's true. You would say, how? Why? I mean, if you're wise, you're not going to be angry, right? Well, probably not. But it is a lifetime thing that we have to work on. If we give up, or there can be a weakness, there can be a vulnerable point in which we can be angry. Do you think 22-year-old kids who shoot another kid, and so they live with the death of another 22-year-old or younger, and then they suffer the consequences of prison, Do you think they thought about any of that when they pulled the trigger? They were just angry. Doesn't matter what age or how much wisdom or knowledge. You could could speak for hours eloquently on all the theology of the Bible, but if you're not practicing, relying on the Lord, leaning on the Lord, trusting on the Lord, we're all vulnerable to anger. And the consequences of anger can be destructive. It was only a moment. Why is my life in the balance? Because it was just that moment. Marriages are ruined. Kids are ruined. Where did I get angry? How did I get angry? My dad was angry. He taught me how to react to life with anger. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you are patient in one moment of anger, you will escape A hundred days of sorrow. Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor of the late first century, who was a philosopher, said, how much more painful are the consequences of anger than the causes of it? Benjamin Franklin said, 
Whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. I believe each one of those statements to be true. From experience. So in conclusion, I want to give you just two tips. Restrain it. Restrain it. Don't vent it. When you vent, you just rehearse why you're angry. You just feed your anger. When you talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, you're defensive about it. And you're rehearsing why you're angry. Get on social media and rehearse it. But that doesn't resolve it. To resolve it, you don't rehearse it. What you first do is restrain it, and then you resolve it by thinking about it and getting insight. In James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, he says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. In Psalm 4, Verses 4 and 5, when it comes to resolving it, this is what the psalmist says. In your anger, do not sin. When you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer to the Lord right sacrifices and trust. That's worth reflecting on. Recognize your anger. Confess it and make amends. Not to escape. Not, well, another exception. I didn't mean to get angry. Do something about it. Get insight. Get insight. It's told that Leonardo da Vinci was working on the painting of the Last Supper. A man working nearby created a careless ruckus and da Vinci turned on him with great anger and a lot of biting, offensive remarks. Then he returned to painting and he was trying to paint the face of Jesus. And he couldn't. So he put down his brushes, found the man, apologized. The man accepted his apology. And he returned to paint the face of Jesus. It's hard to look into the face of Jesus and not alter the face of anger. Let's look into his face. Get wisdom. Get insight. It tempers anger. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your son Jesus who took all the anger of the world upon himself. That he might win our allegiance as Lord and Savior. And have a voice in our lives. And his voice breaks the bonds of anger. We praise you. 
We praise you for the work of your spirit in our lives. We praise you that we're in this together and that we are your children, your family. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.